This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Saturday, May 23rd, 2020. On this day in 1934, a five-day standoff began. 1,300 Ohio National Guard troops faced down 6,000 striking auto workers and unemployed civilians in Toledo, Ohio. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Today we're covering the boiling point of the auto light workers' strike in Toledo, Ohio, when more than 6,000 employees engaged in a deadly five-day clash with the state's National Guard. Let's go back to the Midwestern city of Toledo during the throes of the Great Depression on May 23, 1934. Spring in Toledo was brisk, never mind that it was already May. The chilling winds of the morning whipped at the backs of the men standing outside the downtown factory. They tugged their collars just a little bit higher. Many were members of the American Federation of Labor, and a good portion had been longtime employees of the electric Autolite plant. That was until they'd staged a walkout nearly a month before. The hope was that without them, there'd be no more factory production, no more Glass City, as Toledo had come to be known. Even some of their colleagues from neighboring factories had declined to go to work in favor of joining the Autolite workers' strike. Their demands were clear, more money and better working conditions. Without higher pay, the workers would soon be unable to keep food on the table for their families, let alone feed themselves. And a full stomach was critical to surviving shifts at Autolite, granted the unholy hours in the sweltering factory. There was little margin left now to go without. In fact, the men employed at Autolite constantly feared for their jobs. It was impossible not to be paranoid that one slip-up would leave them without paychecks, and then their families would be out on the streets. The grip of the Great Depression was tightening, and these workers needed relief. By noon on May 23rd, the strikers started the day 6,000 men strong. But as hundreds of men approached their daily picket line outside the factory that morning, they had reason to believe things might have already gone south. Before long, Toledo's sheriff pressed for more backup, namely from Ohio's then-governor, George White. The two agreed that tougher action was needed to wrangle the protesters. They should deploy the National Guard. Governor White was in agreement with the sheriff that neither Toledo's mayor nor its police could or would tamp down the strikers. In fact, most city officials supported the union workers and their demands. 
So the sheriff was granted permission to press ahead with two orders. One was for the National Guard to break up the picket line outside the factory. The second was to evacuate the strike breakers who were still inside, working. The arrival of the National Guard indicated that hope for a peaceful resolution was all but gone. As they tried to advance into the factory, the guardsmen were barred by hordes of protesters. With this, the guard troops were permitted to fire directly into the crowd. All-out bedlam erupted. The authorities dropped tear gas from the top of the warehouse's roof and even took to turning on fire hoses to beat back the crowds. In return, the strikers threw bricks at the guardsmen. Those that couldn't wrangle weapons simply took to brawling with their fists. The madness continued for nearly seven hours. By the next morning, 200 would be injured and two dead. Coming up, the fallout of Ohio's deadly gamble in the face of the Autolite strikers. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. The early 1900s had ushered in a manufacturing boom for Toledo, and by May 23, 1934, the glass business was a cornerstone of the city's automotive industry. It was the perfect product, being made in the perfect location. Just a few hours north in Michigan, Detroit's assembly lines churned out new car after new car, and each would need its share of glass. Naturally, the demand for glaziers was high, and Ohio did its best to build out state manufacturing. But with the onset of the Great Depression, conditions had deteriorated. Such was the case when these men, many of them local union workers, walked off the floor of the electric autolite plant in mid-April of 1934, inciting the strike. They'd hoped the walkout would give them leverage to barter for more human hours and higher wages. While this wasn't ideal given the wheezing U.S. economy, it did seem more than justified, granted the atmosphere inside Autolite. According to Toledo's The Blade journalist Jay Skeba, the conditions inside the plant were brutal. Autolite incorporated a bench system, meaning benches were set up on the factory floor where anyone off the street could enter, take a seat, and wait for a job to open up. The foreman had the authority to hire and fire any employee on the spot. So when a portion of its union workers walked off in protest, Autolite simply turned to the unemployed. The plant immediately hired nearly 1,500 strike breakers to keep the belt lines moving. Desperate for any wage, they were willing to put up with the abysmal conditions. By May 23, 1934, the strike of Toledo's Autolite automotive factory had separated into two bitter factions. 
the workers versus the authorities, and the glass manufacturing plant was lodged directly between the two. Autolite wasn't willing to negotiate, likely because it was so worried about its own demise. It made sense, granted that the factory owner also owned Ohio Bank, which had notoriously bottomed out early in the Depression. It was later confirmed that the Toledo Bank blatantly drained the accounts of its patrons without repayment. Thus, angry and nearly penniless workers turned to their former employer looking for reparations. But Autolite wasn't going to go down without a fight. It lobbied for a legal restriction on picketing. This created even more of an uproar with Toledo's so-called Unemployed League, who'd also joined the picket in solidarity. To enforce such a ban was a heady task. Though local police arrested a handful of strike leaders, the town's small municipal court stood no chance of upholding the picket restrictions against the remaining thousands of protesters. With this small victory, more men gathered outside the gates each day. It seemed they were making progress. The factory was sure to cave soon and negotiate. By morning, the National Guardsmen had freed the strikebreakers, but failed to disperse the crowd. Upon a second order to fire, two of the strikers were killed. Upwards of 200 more would sustain injuries. With the surges of assaults finally subsided, the bloodshed of the strike became known as the Battle of Toledo. Such violence turned the eyes of the nation to Ohio. As the press covered the injured union workers still showing up to protest for better conditions, Autolite lost the higher ground. Finally, nearly a month after the most gruesome five-day stretch, the factory reached an agreement. Realizing their workers' contributions, Autolite bowed to their demands. According to historical writers Brendan and Don Carell, when the plant reopened, management had agreed to recognize the AFL as the employee's collective bargaining agent, introduced a slight wage hike, and rehired most of those who had gone out with the strikers. The Great Depression would rage on for nearly five more years with various automotive strikes to follow. Yet the Autolite strike remains with Ohioans to this day. The Battle of Toledo is commemorated by a plaque and statues outside the old downtown factory, reminding passersby how workers fought for their right to join the United Auto Workers Union so many decades ago. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you enjoyed hearing this union tale, you might also like our episode on Jimmy Hoffa from the ParCast original, Historical Figures. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Mackenzie Moore, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 